yes, all right, it's not as good as going on a three-day hostage survival training course in your, where you study the freezing cold room, but it's better than a couple of hours of briefing and reading a couple of news articles. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Training and development for hostile environments. Today, we're delighted to be speaking with Peter Moore, one of the longstanding contributors to the Circuit magazine and, of course, uh, the Circuit in general. Uh, but actually, today, something a little bit special. We have a guest editor in Chuck Randolph, all the way from Conversations in Close Protection. We're delighted to have you on. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well, mate. I'm doing well. It's good to catch up with you. And of course, I'm always happy to to lend my support to whatever whatever question or whatever thoughts that you you send my way. But I'm doing well, thanks. Well, it's it's wonderful to have you on. I've actually seen the second half of Conversation in Close Protection uh, in uh, the States just recently. Mr. Chris Story very kindly <laughs> uh, attended our Phoenix the, event. The ubiquitous Mr. Chris Story. I, don't, you, don't you put a new uh, sentence in front of his name uh, each time, don't you? I do. And the, the secret is, and I'm I'm sure most of your listeners probably may know this, is whatever I put in as the colorful adject- adjective for him of the week, most of the time has a very subtle string to what the what I think the theme of the show is that week. So it makes it sound like I, I, I spend far more time thinking about it. But but yes, and people have asked uh, Felham for either a coffee mug or a T-shirt that has all the adjectives that I've used for him over the last five years that we've been recording. I love it. Well, well, let me have a go. I'm probably going to fall flat on my face, but it's lovely to have the virtual virtuous <laughs> Chuck Randolph. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you, sir. And, and, and that's my very sore and badly worded attempt at blending with today's topic because, and we, 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 we've been very lucky to have Peter Moore on in person and virtually Absolutely. and on, on the magazine. He's previously spoken about his experience, his testimony, his advice, but he has been working on training and development for hostile environments and specifically kidnap situations mm-hmm. um, through a virtual reality platform. And um, obviously that a little bit more accessible than some of the more miserable kidnap and ransom training out there. What, what, where do you think we can go with today's session? Well, I think it's going to be very interesting because if you think about, uh, think about Peter's, you know, uh, tragic adventure, if you'll allow me that, you know, you have an IT expert, he spent a very long time as, as a captor in Iraq. His four bodyguards were assaulted. I think he was the only one that survived. And, you know, and he's talked about it on your show before. He's talked about it on the circuit. But who better to come out with and say, you know, like we as security professionals or security practitioners, fellow, we, you know, maybe we came from the military or from law enforcement and we've done maybe some harder skilled training around um, escape and evasion. But if you think about it from a corporate standpoint, I'm really looking forward to hearing Peter's point of view as a former IT person that says, hey, look, I've been to these hostile environments. I'm not maybe the same as my security provider. How should I think about things like situational awareness? How should I think about things like the environment? How do I think about, you know, also discerning this to other engineers or IT people that might go out there or executives who might be traveling alone and need to understand 
this is kind of what the expectations are. Yeah, and 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 that's important because we 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 focus on skill sets for the protector, and we know protectors love uh, upskilling. They're they're very motivated. Um, yeah. But uh, what about training the protectee, the principal? Because I, I suppose this is where such a metaverse or virtual environment might be more suitable to them. Because if you put your principal through some of the more miserable training, they may yeah. never go anywhere ever. Sure. And I mean, first, you got to think of logistics. I mean, just to get an executive that is going to say, let's call it the miserable training or the hard training. I'm thinking of like escape and evasion training, you know, some things that maybe I, I've gone through before in my in past lives. That's that's a commitment of time. You know, just to say, hey, Felim, you're you're the CEO of, of Felim Row Inc. Sir, can you come and spend four days in a crappy environment to kind of learn? Yeah even if you're interested in it, chances are time is money and that's not going to happen. But to be able to do it in snippets and have a virtual environment that executives can go and say, this is what I learned. This is what I think you should learn and what you should be aware of, I think is a really fascinating idea. And and as an idea, I think we're more receptive to it because maybe five years ago, you'd say virtual reality and people have maybe visions of 1980s arcade games with triangles and i i don't know what i'm just you know put plugging at straws here but but do, do you think the protector community is is ready for all things vr or or do you think there's a bit of hesitancy well you know phil i'm like you we're, we're both fans of the of the media as well and you think about covid and how that exact you know covid exacerbated a lot of things some of them were accelerations in technology you look at some of the way some like TV and, and media things are produced. They have this VR wall now. And, and I think whether we're ready for it or not, the technology is there that is going to allow us to be more immersive. Now, look, I'm very clear to, to say being in a virtual metaverse with, with, a, uh, with an Oculus on my head that says I'm in the jungle is not the same as being in the jungle. We, I think you and I both totally understand that. But being able to say, here are some of the sensory things that you're going to experience or you might experience to help point out things like situational awareness. You know, we often know in the first 30 to, to you know, 90 seconds of, of an issue, there's opportunity maybe to escape or, you know, and these are ways that we can instruct and teach both protectors and protectees. Fascinating. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. And you know, uh, please answers on a postcard, fan mail, if if you think this is going too far into the world of the future. But I'm very much looking forward to it. So let's listen now to Peter Moore and uh, explore hostile environment training and virtual reality. And now let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit Magazine. When things go wrong, hostage survival training for protectors. I'm here with Peter Moore, long-standing contributor to the Circuit Magazine, uh, former hostage and IT consultant. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing good. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very grateful. 
Well, it's great to engage with you in this uh, sort of more immersive format. I, I often like to say bringing the pages of the magazine to life. We know there's a lot of protectors out there on the move and they and they do like, uh, of course, to read uh, your, your articles, but also hear from you directly. So let's spark their interest. Hostage survival training. What's the problem that we're trying to solve beyond the obvious? I think the perception of people when they're working in hostile environments, and certainly this was my perception, um, was is, is that when you get taken hostage, that's it, you're going to die, end of. And actually, that's not true. Um, I now know and I now see that, that you can do a lot of things um, to tilt the balance of survival in your favour. Um, and, and, and in my case, I mean, I was held for over two and a half years. But while you might be held a long time, you can still make your conditions better. So just because you've been taken hostage does not mean um, it's going to end badly. There are a lot of things you can do to aid your survival. And and that, whilst, of course, stark is a more positive outcome, I suppose, than, you know, otherwise. Um, we'll, We'll get right into that. But let's explore, because, of course, you are a former hostage. So why is this now a a passion of yours to to sort of mitigate this for others okay so when i got captured i was working in iraq in the ministry of finance back in 2007 and i I was a computer programmer to be honest at the back of my mind i never thought i would really be at risk of capture i thought as a programmer i'm not really high profile enough Um, however as part of my job i had four british security guards with me and I was captured along with those guards. All of these British guards were ex-military. Some had only been out maybe one or two months. They still had a valid ID, military ID card with them, in fact, when they got captured. Um, over time, these um, security guards got killed. And the militia that held me captured two American soldiers. They got killed also. I was actually the only one that got out alive out of the whole of the group. So I was the least trained, had no military background, um and i survived it and the military people that were military trained did not and when i got released that's what sparked my drive as to why did i peter moore programmer survive when the others did not statistically that sort of should not have happened so that was really my drive of how i started getting involved with things and then from that i started to move more into this military training program of conducts after capture and then from there, that sort of moved into the civilian sector. Um, and, and now, ironically, one of the things I'm trying to do um, is implement a virtual reality training simulation for hostage survival. I've, I've been working on that with the Danish military for a couple of years now, and um, I'm trying to work on that now. And, and that's very, very topical because our readers and uh, listeners will undoubtedly remember you from some very in-depth articles and of course you very kindly spoke at the inspiring individuals event that we did um uh, with the support of Ivor Terrett uh, last year um and and so they might think ah I know your story and it's very important to know your story and very 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 great to have you on but I think this is perhaps the nugget for today's podcast in that that training and the combination with technology and everyone talks about metaverse but virtual reality, immersive learning. I think that's what's going to hold people's interest for this uh, podcast. So 
what should the completely uninitiated protector know? Because I, I have visions of them saying, oh, that's some some future technology, not, not nothing for right now. No, this is something, I mean, this is something that is here and now. Um, it's just not mainstream. So right now I have a, a working prototype um, in, in virtual reality for conduct after capture, which has been shown to a number of... Um, military units and um some of them have been actively involved in developing it further and right now uh with the ukraine situation there's been a little bit more of a, a drive shall we say to try and implement more fast track kind of conduct after capture training so that 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 that's happened like in the last week sort of thing so i don't have anything else to add to that because it's still a bit ongoing ongoing but but i suppose in, increasingly accessible so let's Let's then expand this because, in a way, a protector may, I'm not putting thoughts into their mind, words into their mouth, they may say, I don't really want to touch this topic because it would indicate I've failed. It would indicate that I may have lost my principle. They've they've been captured. I've been captured. Something's been captured. Um, and in a way, that's that's not a risk management approach, is it? You're not, you're not you're planning <laughs> for contingencies. Um, how should how should they grapple with this topic and in a way sell the topic because it, it, it sounds dangerous from a career perspective perhaps. Sure. So so to start with, there is there is a bit of a, a flow like a pipeline. So initially, when you get captured, the first thing that your people need to understand, they need to recognise that capture because there is something worse than being captured. And that's not recognizing that you've been outnumbered, trying to fight, getting injured and still being captured because then your situation is way worse. OK, so that's the very first thing I want to sort of point out. They, you need to recognize the capture is happening and you're not going to be able to overpower it. So you have to sort of go with the flow at that point. Um, in my case, I was sort of surrounded by five people pointing guns at me. And uh, I remember saying to my security team leader, who was, who was sort of next to me, I said, what do I do? Now, in my mind, I was thinking my security team were going to do some sort of Jean-Claude Van Damme kung fu type thing to get me out. Um, and they said, just do whatever they say. And actually, that was the right advice. But at the time, I remember thinking, is that it? Is that is that the best advice you can give? But that was the correct advice at that time. If we'd tried to fight, we would have been killed instantly. You know, we, you know, we're surrounded by like 10, 20 people with guns pointed at us. There's no way we would have got out of that. However, once you're in that situation and you recognise you've been captured, yes, escape is an option. And when they talk about escape, they say do it as early as possible to that point of capture. It's the most chaotic time, but it's very, very risky. The reality is once they've captured you, you're probably blindfolded, could be handcuffed. Um, you, you, they may strip you of clothes. That's what they did with me. Um, so there's, you, there's not a lot you can do. You have to just go with it. Ultimately, you're trying to build a rapport. You're trying to generate uh, a rapport with your captors, point out that you're a human being, you have family, uh, you have a dog, whatever. Try and get some sort of alignment with them. You could be with them for a very long time. You may not like them. You may not want to be with them. You wouldn't choose to be in that situation. But I always say none of those factors mean that you can't do it. Okay, just because you don't like it, wouldn't choose it, don't want to do it, doesn't mean you physically can't do it. 
Um, and in reality, I think the insurance industry, when they talk about kidnap and ransom insurance, they say recovery rates are 95% of people get out alive. Um, and while there might be some industry spin on that, I think that is genuinely true. Most people do get out of life from hostage situations. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get out well, and doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get out quick, but you do get out alive. And and that's perhaps the more positive message because I, I I could imagine if I was a protector and I had to prepare my principal in a few seconds, as you as you say, uh, for it. Obviously, that's that's an non-optimum time right and it's a non-optimum amount of time um so ideally they would have undergone some training before and yeah if if you do explain it to them in in those terms maybe you could get them interested in training um without scaring them without i suppose without them thinking hang on is this the best protector for me given that they're now talking about failure um if 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 you talk to them in those terms, perhaps you'll get them interested in training. Sure, I think I think putting it as failure is probably a little bit incorrect. At the end of the day, it's a risk, isn't it? You know, we we're at risk of capture all the time. You could go down to the ATM down the street, get smacked on the top of the head, and be taken hostage for your money. It could happen, but it's risk, isn't it? What is the is what is the calculated risk of that? If you are working in hostile environments, I always say to to the non-security personnel people like me the principal i always say to them look you know the reality is we do this job because we want to do something different if we wanted a really safe job we could just go and work in an office nine to five you know we are choosing not to do that we are choosing to put ourselves in these risky situations so yes there is a risk of hostage there's a risk of a car breakdown there's a risk of getting dehydrated they're all risks and they you have to cover for all of those risks. If you're working in the desert, you could die of dehydration um, and, and your principal wouldn't be surprised that you're talking about that. So I think talking about being kidnapped as a risk and talking about it in this way is a good way of doing it. Um, you know, there are some very extreme hostage survival training courses where you're kind of put in a freezing cold room, you get water poured over your head, you're shouted at and all this sort of stuff. Personally, I don't think there's too much value in that. You know, I, I've never been in a car crash, but I know that a car crash is probably a bad thing to be in. So do you really need to expose somebody to those type of events to prove to them that being taken hostage is a, nut, is a bad thing to happen? You know, we, we know it's a bad thing. Um, so do we have to expose ourselves to it just by talking about it like this and preparing them for it, explaining them the sort of dynamics of the country that they're working in? That helps a lot. And how to speak to people in certainly in developing countries. So I've learned from working historically before I was kidnapped that the sort of conversations you have are based around family, things like that. Whereas in the UK, I, my, my first question might be to you, what job do you do? Whereas in sort of more developing countries, my, my opening question would be saying, are you married? Do you have children? How old are your children? And these are kind of opening conversations. So even though you've been kidnapped, there's no reason for you to have, you know, you may as well have that conversation. It might make life a bit easier for you. I, that's that's very important. And those cultural nuances, um, you've, got to, you've got to really pick up on them because you might be seething with anger still and you've got yes. to think about negotiation in a, in a, in a way um but going back you mentioned 
the more miserable side of the spectrum and people who have been in government or forces and what what have you you know they do have tales of just how miserable and degrading that is right and nobody would want that but maybe that really uh aggressive uh, treatment is designed to try and stop them revealing information so they have to they have to work out how not to give information at all costs including their own demise but for your average protector and average uh, CEO or principal, that that that's not going to be such a driving factor. So maybe for for, for the more civilian uh, world, could you, could you paint a picture of the spectrum of um, the types of training out there, all the way to what you're working on now? Sure. So um, I, I just want to I just want to point something out about that what you've said there about holding back information. So. Um, although as a civilian, even me getting captured in Iraq, I was just a civilian programmer. I mean, I had no national secrets or anything. Um, in the spectrum, they have two types of questioning. There's kind of like this initial questioning, which are things like, what's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing? That sort of thing. And then they have these secondary questions, the follow-up questions, which are more in-depth. Now, as a civilian, you might think, well, I've got nothing to hide. When I got captured, I was terrified. The first person I, I saw, who, the first per- captor who spoke to me and asked me my name, I just told this person everything I knew because I wasn't military. I'd got no secrets. I told them what I was doing. They didn't ask for any of this information. I just told them everything I knew. And I remember thinking, that's it. I've done my bit. Two days later, they came back to further interrogate me. I had nothing else to say. They thought I was hiding something. I got really harsh treatment for that. And, and that was the mistake. So even though you are a civilian, I think the rules are just answer the questions they ask and drip feed the information. Don't just blurt everything out like I did um, because they will come back. They will check on that information. They will come back. They will ask you follow-up questions. If you've told them everything at the start, and you have nothing else to say, it will just look strange. It looks suspicious. It's exactly, imagine meeting someone um, in a coffee shop who you get on with really well. You meet them for the first time. They talk about their whole life, everything. They tell you everything there is to know. And you arrange to meet up the following week. You meet them the following week, and you say to them things like, how's your week? And they say to you, well, you know, I told you last week how it was going to be. And it's a bit like, oh, okay, you know. Um, what coffee do you want? And they're like, well, you know what coffee I want. I told you. So it, it, it's a very different dynamic the second time they ask you those questions. That, that is a good point. And yeah, and on reflection, I, I, was, I was wrong for skirting over it just as a given. You, 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 you know, that that is a really important point because whilst you're not sort of going to the very end without revealing something top secret, it's not that. It's the... You know, becoming a motor mouth under heat yeah. can cause you can cause you problems. Anyway, um, because because we're we're focused on training to avoid said complications. What's the spectrum of the, shall we say, not so miserable and maybe more productive uh, training going all the way to what you're working on now? Sure. So, I think I think the sort of the the first line of, of training that that people should do is the hostile environment training. So that that's before being kidnapped. This is about working in hostile environments, 
what to do in the event of a breakdown, being aware of your surroundings, um, checking in with using various radio codes, that sort of thing. Um, the advantage of that kind of training is about avoidance. And your best security personnel are the ones that see a problem and go the other way. In my mind, again, before I was taken hostage, my security team were like Rambo. That's how I perceived it. So if there was a fight over there, they would engage that fight. They would deal with it, whatever. Right? That's not. I now know that's not the type of security person I want around me. I want a security person that says, there's a fight going on over there near the entrance. That's the building we've got to go in. So we are going to go in the opposite direction for now. And we'll look, check back again in 15 minutes. That's the security person I want who avoids it. And hostile environment training prepares you for that. It prepares you to observe, prepares you to train for things. The biggest thing that I've learned from all of this, um, you know, if you go out on the road and something looks wrong, it's because it's wrong. Okay, it's not because of any other reason. It's not right because it's wrong. And that's the red flag that you need to turn back. The mistake I made with my security team was we were briefed by our management who said security teams, the security guards are in charge of security. My job is to sit in the car, let them do the security, don't talk to them, don't engage with them. This is a mistake. You know, security is everyone's issue. I remember when we drove out of the green zone in Baghdad, I saw a, a lot of police officers, a lot of Iraqi police officers, an abnormal amount of Iraqi police officers. I didn't say anything. The security team didn't say anything. I thought the security team had seen it, just ignored it. The reality is after we got captured by fake police officers, they said to me, did you see all those police officers outside the green zone? I said, Yes, I did, but you didn't say anything, so I didn't say anything. So the reality is, if we'd have said something at that point and said, that's strange, let's turn back, we probably would have never been taken hostage. But as a, as a business, you can't say, you, you can't measure that. You can only measure the failure. You can't measure that success. So, um, yeah, so sort of deviating a little bit, but back to the training. Hostile environment training, definitely the first stage is what you want to do. And that's... That's practical, but it's nice practically. It's you where you have a bit of a briefing. Um, let's say you have a briefing about the car breaking down, something like that. You will then go out into the forest where there's a broken down car and you'll practice it. And it, it's very nice. The, host, the next step of hostile, hostage survival training is you get the briefings. So they're generally country specific. So if somebody knows they're going to work in, um, I don't know, Malawi, for example, um, they will get a country briefing on Malawi and what the risks are associated with kidnap, what, it, what, the, what is likely to happen if you're kidnapped in that country, what his, historical events say, and then um, how to deal with it. So more like in a discussion like we're having now. Usually that takes two, three hours, something like that. You might get a presentation, that sort of thing. The next sort of level up from that is more hands-on. So this is where you'll have a briefing, but then potentially someone will come in the room. They might blindfold you, handcuff you, um, take you out of the room, see how you react to it. But only for a few minutes, only for a short time, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then they'll take uh, the handcuffs off. They'll take the blindfold off. You sit around, you discuss it, and then you, you go through it again. You try and go through it again. So the theory of that is the more you do it, 
the the easy, the the better your response to it. It's a technique called stress inoculation. So if you present it, if you expose someone to something consistently enough and long enough, it becomes the norm. They don't get stressed over it. So that's kind of the, the next step. And then the real extreme is more what the military do, as I said before. That's where you're you're kind of captured, walking over a hill, you're thrown in the back of a truck, blindfolded, handcuffed, put in a freezing cold room, you know, water poured over your head, all that sort of stuff. And that that thing can last, you know, two days sort of thing. Um, as I say, I'm not a I'm personally not in favor of that, um, certainly for the civilian sector. I think it's a very extreme form of training uh, but that's my opinion yeah and and you know it might make sense if you've got something so important as information that you absolutely you know for the goodness of all mankind you know that i can i can kind of feature uh but in in our ep world i'm I, i'm not sure that's i'm not sure that's you um or at least i hope it's not you um, and so, so 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 where does virtual reality come in because vr i mean i've seen some fantastic uh, vr apps uh, i've experimented with the google cardboard uh vr uh player with your phone you know it, it's it's very affordable um can you paint a picture of, of of your vr work so the advantage of my vr system is that um it can be used in two ways one um to expose people to being kidnapped without actually being kidnapped so effectively, you're, you you go through this briefing um, for half a day and then you put the VR on and then you expose yourself to being kidnapped. So you get an idea of what it's like. The second thing it can be used for is testing. So in the military, they do these one day training courses. They have various levels of this sort of hostage survival training. Um, so the first, le- first and second level, um, we can use the VR to test uh, the knowledge of the person who's been through the course. Um, so that that's that. But moving forward, what we're trying to do now is implement um, what the military term resistance to interrogation. So using the VR, we can actually track your eye positioning. So by getting the VR, the the, the, uh, avatar in the VR to ask you a question under interrogation, we can detect your eye position. And then the avatar can respond as to whether that is being a deceptive answer or not. So that's sort of the next step that we're dealing with. And and that's that's quite interesting because I suppose you know some people train for those uh, those eye signals and those facial signals and sure. and in the popular press we hear a lot about oh this company will um, learn if you are enjoying their advert from whatever eye movement in the metaverse or whatever right so but what can we break it down why is that important because because I feel that that's innately translatable outside of the virtual world. Sure, it is. Um, But it's useful for training people. So at the end of the day, if you want to give a deceptive answer that's believed to be realistic, um, you need to know where to eye position. So and and again, as a civilian, you might think this is not required. Well, I would have said the same thing. I would have said when you're taken hostage, the best policy is to tell the truth. It is. That is what the book says. If you're taken hostage, tell the truth. Someone stuffs a gun in your face and says to you, tell me your religion. That's not the time to start promoting your atheist beliefs. Okay, so you have to give a convincing answer about your religion. I hardly ever go to church, 
but I had to think very damn quick about my religion. I'm not going to tell them I don't have any religion. This person's like going to shoot me. So I'm not thinking what is the correct answer or the truthful answer. I'm thinking what is the answer I need to give to keep myself alive? And in that particular case, just for information, people might be interested in what the answer is. I'm just like everyone else. I, didn't, I don't really go to church, but, you know, I don't work Christmas. I don't work Easter. I take New Year's holiday. Well, they're religious holidays. So therefore, I'm religious. And that's, the, that's what I said. I said, well, I don't, I don't go to church, but I don't work on these religious holidays. And they, that's, that's it. You know, that is it. You know, that, that, and most people are like that. As, as, you know, I've, I've met people that I've spoken to about being kidnapped. And they've said they have no religion whatsoever. And my question is, do you work Christmas Day? No, they don't. Well, you're religious then, aren't you? <laughs> so, so that, that you know, you've got to kind of think about it in that way a bit. So although the eye tracking, so back to the eye tracking. So although what we're not, what we're trying to train them to do is use their eyes to give a believable answer. And, and is that, I read in some book of marketing guru of some sort uh, you 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 look down you're you're feeling uh you you, you look up you're thinking uh you yeah. look left it's imagined you look right it's it remembered or exactly. is that what we're talking about exactly so if you're looking down that's more deceptive if you're looking up to the right that's a memory recall that means you did it you're recalling an event so whether or not your interrogator believes that doesn't matter it doesn't matter whether you believe that or not just by that process of looking up to the right, trying to make out you're doing a memory recall, if nothing else, it's giving you time to think of an answer. So you're putting in a, almost a pause there under interrogation. It's hard to do. It's difficult to do. But, uh, you know, and, and train, any trained interrogators listening on here will know that I've completely simplified that. And they'll be like, well, it's way harder than that. No, yes. no, but. I mean, of course, yeah. it, but 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 that's a good point because when we did a segment on self-defense, and you know, you're you're not um, frequently trained, shall we say, uh, anything that requires more than one move is probably going to be counterproductive. So if if someone said, you know, to get out of this um, bear hug, whatever, you got to uh, do this with your arms, this with your legs, this with your stance, this with the, this, it's, they said anything more than one move, and you're in trouble. Um, and that one move is generally run. Um, so, yes. so, 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 so perhaps this is comparable because any more, you know, for the, for the generalist, any more specialist facial expressions might just not look the part, but, but I like that look, look up to the right or, or however you're instructed. Yeah. I, and it, and it, it does work. There are theories out there, you know, there's like anything, there's theories for it and theories against it. Um, I, I, I just wanted to add something, um, actually. Um, we talked about the metaverse and much further down the line with the virtual reality, what we'll be able to do is, is emulate like a group hostage situation. So where you've been captured as part of a group. So me and you, we're sat in different places right now. We put the headsets on. We're in a room together and then we're in a group hostage situation. So we could do that from anywhere around the world. People all over the world can put the headsets on. And we've all been captured in a room and then we, you know, interrogation comes in and, you know, you, people get asked different questions or that, that sort of thing. Because once you get into group dynamics, your answers to the questions change significantly. For example, myself and Phelan, 
we're sat in our room with our VR headsets on. Someone walks in, our capture captor walks in and says, who's in charge? I'm immediately going to say that Felon's in charge. <laughs> I'm going to put the pressure on him. I'm not in charge. I know nothing. I'm only here because Felon's here. He's the man you want to speak to. <laughs> so with that group dynamic, you can really create those kind of pressures. So. And, and I can see how sort of almost peer review then comes in because because afterwards someone said, I can't believe you did that or didn't do that or or so on. But but I mean, how, how does that work then? Because, I you know, a, a group exercise, I, I, I think I've done another session on uh wargaming and and and, and so on do, do you think sometimes people get an unrealistic expectation like um uh, you had an opportunity to become rambo and uh club <laughs> club the person over the head and uh beat up everybody i can't believe you didn't be rambo yeah is is, is that possible um no, it, i guess it i mean i suppose it could be possible but one of the um, very specific remits that I have, I've made in this VR, because obviously I'm dealing with other programmers now. So I'm dealing with gaming programmers predominantly now. And the problem with gaming is that it puts uh, the success in the player's favour. Okay. So if you're playing a game of uh, escaping from a room, ultimately you'll escape from a room because the computer game is designed for the player to succeed what i need to be sure of when we're dealing with these hostile and training environments is the environment's not um configured if you like to uh give the success to the wearer so when we talk about escape like the rambo thing yes somebody could pick up a bar and yes somebody could hit that one person in the room over their head but the moment they do that another five people are going to walk in with guns at that point and therefore, you're not going to be able to get away. You might get away with it one time, but you won't get away with it constantly. Um, and ultimately, of course, as as you know, the very extreme it, within the hostile survival training VR that I've got, the very extreme result is you are taken out and get executed. So that can happen in VR as well. Um, so we can always end the VR in that way if they, if the person really doesn't want to comply. That is, yeah, no, that's that's important, and it's important to draw a distinction between a game and and this, because you're not seeking to win. Right. You're seeking to prepare and improve. That's, is, that's, have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. So you're you're preparing them um, for survival, aren't you? You're preparing them to get through it, sort of thing, as opposed to fight it. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before, uh, gamification. I mean, you know, it, it, there is gamification there, but it's not a game, as you say. And yeah, that's that. That's perhaps key because, and and actually, maybe that's key because let's imagine an employer has sent you on said training. Hmm. The yes. the immediate instinct of an employer is: Did you get a gold star? Did you get a certificate? Did you pass? Um, did you beat up your captors? I mean, I can imagine all sorts of re weird questions. Whereas, that's not the right. That's not the right question, which is a bit unsettling for any employer spending money on training because they want to see a bit of an outcome. And 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 in this case, they they really shouldn't see the outcome. No, the the outcome the outcome should be that you went there, 
answered the questions, did not a lot, and you got out okay. <laughs> that really should be the outcome. Uh, you know, you did what you were sold. Um, but yeah, there, there is a way of grading this as well. So there are there are marks. So if you give a positive response to a situation, you can get a higher mark. So we can actually give it um, a pass or fail kind of grade. Um, although we it's built in, but we're not using it at the moment. Um, certain it it was designed because it was designed for military. Certain military units train to pass or fail. Certain military units don't. Certain military units more like this flow, um, follow this pipe. More like an experience when um, you see police in certain non-UK, shall we say, jurisdictions, um, they taser each other and they right. say, yeah, Did, you, know, yeah. you know, oh, you, you, you now know what it's like, um, yes. whether that's, you know, it can't really... Can't really I mean, it's extreme training, isn't it? I, mean, I guess the advantage of that extreme training is you remember it. Yeah. I think I think that's probably it. I think that's and, and I you can... don't panic because you're like, oh, well, I it hurt and sure. but you know, and and a similar a similar sort of thing. I was I know it's, it's an interview for you, but uh, but I was in DC with a group uh, just a, a week ago. I went to the International Spy Museum. I, I very, very recommended, right? It's very immersive. Um, and quite tasteful if if stark at times and they did have a bit on you know quite nasty techniques and they they did explain that some people go through them so that they they panic less yes yeah that, that well that's the idea is you you're able to cope with it you you you're not as stressed uh, in when when it happens um so yeah i but but again i would reiterate you know we're working in these hostile environments it's a risk I, I think to be fair, my risk is probably a little bit different than some of your close protection people because, um, you know, I'm going to dangerous countries. I'm exposing myself to that. Whereas I suspect some of your um, close protection people are, that are quite famous. And so they're at a different type of risk, aren't they? They're, you know, they're getting swamped by people that, I don't know, probably want to get the roll to graph or kill them. I don't know. There's a, quite an extreme range of people there, I would think. So... Moving forward, let's say uh, an EP specialist wants a training such as this. Is it is it sort of something for their CV or is it like more fitness where they just need to be fit? Because, you know, uh, people do an off-qual uh, in medical X, Y, and Z or, or maybe uh, leadership training or covert surveillance and, and they have that certificate and, and, and things like that. For, for, for this, what, what, what should they consider doing? I think I think they need to do it because they are at risk. From from my perspective, again as a principal, um, I never I always thought, well, I've got a security team. If things go wrong, my security team will sort things out. I never envisaged in a million years that the security team would end up in the same bad position that I'm in. You know, when if I I just I, I thought historically, if I was at risk of being kidnapped, the security team would intervene to stop me from being kidnapped. I never thought about the security team being kidnapped as well as me. So the same thing applies to your, your EP personnel in that, yeah, okay, they might not be targeting that security person. They might be targeting your principal, but they're going to take you hostage also, <laughs> which I never thought I, you know, I never could never occur to me that would happen. So it's important that they're trained also in this hostile uh, hostage survival training because it could happen to them. And, and and just practically, what does that what does that look like? Does that look like they they go on a couple of weeks and then they get a passing grade and 
and that's something for their CV. Is it something longer, something they do in night school? Um, what, so, okay. so, what should so, that look like? Yeah, so generally um, you'd go away for a couple of days to do it. Usually it forms part of hostile environment training and um, they would then be captured and then they'd be held and questioned and things like that. They would go through this pipeline to ultimately being released. Um, so it normally takes a couple of days. You get a yeah, you get a certificate at the end of it. What they do say is though, once you've done it, you don't really need to do, do it again. You just need to sort of recap on things, maybe read news articles and that sort of thing, um, which is quite interesting that they say that. Even the military say that. They say once you've done it, that training once, you don't do it again. Um, you just sort of do a bit of a refresher. Um, so yeah, so it, it's a couple of days worth of training. Like I say, you can, some people do do like a one day briefing sort of in their own office and that sort of thing. But I think a bit of practical is, is important. And, and let's say you're an EP specialist, you've listened to our interview all the way through and you say, oh, I still have no faith in this newfangled VR technology. I, I suppose if you've been in the military, you've probably used a J-Dome for, tra- for training. You've, you've done things like that. But, but let's say they're, they're still unconvinced that VR is possible uh what 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 would you sort of say to them well i think i think it falls in the middle ground it's accessible um it's cost effective it's easy to do it can be brought to you in an office where you can do it yes all right it's not as good as going on a three-day hostage survival training course in your where you study in the freezing cold room but it's better than a couple of hours of briefing and reading a couple of news articles you know what i mean so it kind of falls somewhere in the middle it's cost effective, really. Like I say, we can bring it to you. We can immerse you in any environment. So whether it's a desert, forest, town, whatever, we can change that environment. So they don't need to bring their own Oculus Rift or whatever. They, they, they. No, no, not necessarily. No, no. We we provide them currently. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's positive. Um. Well. Well, I'm I'm glad we went down this angle because, you know, metaverse VR is topical. Um, there is a debate about it currently about all sorts of aspects of it. So it's, it's really a great pleasure to, to have you on and, and, and look at this. And I, I know you've spoken about it before and I know you've told people a lot about your experiences and your advice and, and that's immensely valid because with each passing year, there's a new cadre of uh, EP specialists coming in. Uh, uh, but this, this is something for them and for the more, uh, long-standing professional who will, of course, know you and have heard uh, you speak or read your articles uh, before. Um, but what's what's next for you, Peter? Um, well, next for me is um, ironically, I start back work next week, so I'm teaching computing at a college, so that's the immediate thing. But further down the line is I'm hoping to get um, this VR for conduct after capture actually embedded in the military conduct after capture program. And um, that I'm hoping to have that embedded within the next few months in, in one unit, I should say. Well, 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 best of luck with that. I think I think with that, everything will cascade and perhaps think... ma- mass adoption will, will break out. I hope so. Yeah. You might see me at one of your events, that, uh, you know, demonstrating it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've got we've got lots coming up. We've got a meet up um, uh, by the International Security Expo. Um, and then we've got. Uh, some 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 more events, including the CP Tech Forum, uh, in in January. So so maybe maybe it'll be ready for then. You never know. Uh, maybe. maybe. Um, well, Peter, thanks very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you, and um, 
I, I've, I've really enjoyed bringing the pages of The Circuit magazine to life. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Peter Moore, for once again knocking it out of the park and helping us along a journey looking at how we can all develop a hostile uh, area surveillance training and, and of course, KNR awareness. Um, I'm back with uh, the immutable uh, Chuck Randolph. You'll see where <laughs> nice. I'll go with the word immutable in a bit. Mm-hmm. And what did, what did you take away from today's session? Well, I think my my big takeaway is you know film if if we have an ultra high net worth individual you know that training that we might want to get that person their family that that might be very boutique it might be very customized that you know there's a lot with that but for the large swath of protectors and protectees principals executives some who may not have uh protectors with them or again, you know, Peter himself was an IT professional or engineers who are traveling around maybe to look at oil rigs or whatever. The ability to get some of this training in a hybrid fashion, I, I really think is the way forward. Because uh, again, you know, before we went into the interview, we talked about, look, there's some opportunities at the very beginning of an incident to maybe gain a foothold to escape, evade, et cetera, whatever cool words we want to use. But Without any training, you have zero ability to use it as part of your um, critical thinking skills in the moment. So I, what I think about when I listen and I think about that's really what was running around in my mind is like, is it necessary? And I understand why people might criticize it, but I think it's a fascinating way to approach and get awareness out to that larger level of executives and people who need it. And then the protectors getting it understand when we walk into a situation, I understand what training you've, you've had felon. So now I know how to, I know how to brief you before the detail. I know how to approach you. And all of a sudden we're on the same sheet of music when it comes to uh, incident management in the moment, if you will. And that same sheet approach, I think will be invaluable for the operation because you wouldn't want your principal going off trying to be Rambo because they hadn't really gelled with, what your mission was you you want you yeah. want to be on the, on the same uh, sheet felony make a great point if my only awareness to any of this has been as chris story might say watching john wick or something and i think well i don't know what else to do so my knee-jerk reaction is to do that at which you know reality is something vastly different uh you know I, again i i think it kind of rests my case on that like this training is great for setting that baseline, which causes discussions and, and follow on discussions, et cetera, as opposed to, hey, we're going to throw you in a box, run around, let you escape, slap you around the head a couple times and then say, there you go. What have you learned? Well, it, gets, it, it hurts to get slapped in the face. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, if, if you're not doing like kickboxing training and, and whatever, it's just not it's not the same thing. It's not a game, um, which is another one of the things that I thought was really good from today's session, because. There's a place for win-lose games, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. this is awareness training. You're not going to be like, you know, you did X, Y, and Z with the kidnappers, and therefore you've won. It's much more, how can we calm you down and let you think rationally, you know, in, well, in a, very, a very stressful environment? 
Yeah, those critical thinking skills that this type of training brings, I think is very important because again, often in the moment, like just understanding like, uh, you know, my stress level is going to be high. I think we can agree and the ability to, to calm ones down and say, what did I learn? What do I know? Okay, let's start thinking about that. Let's start, you know, and at some point, how do we trade that mindset from the immediate to the long term? You know, it's, I, I think there's a place for it. And I, I think it's, uh, his, his approach is fascinating. I like it. And oh, one more thing I liked about it, which, which I think would be a massive takeaway. Don't spill all the beans immediately, he said, because <laughs> yes. then you have no more beans to spill and they think something fishy is going on. So yeah. so actually, I, to be fair, I don't know how I'd get that right. I'd probably just, you know, well, spill all the beans. You got to think, I mean, it's, it's, a re, it's, it, it's a resource discussion for the good guys and the bad guys. Mm. And you're right. I mean, the minute you're not a resource uh, or the minute maybe it isn't perceived that you're going to gain resources, what are you? You're a resource drag. So that's, mm. uh, that means there's going to be some interesting questions on the bad guy side. So ex excellent point to highlight. Yeah, very tricky. But on a happier note, um, what's uh, <laughs> what's coming up? What's coming up for you, Chuck? Oh, my gosh. Fell him so much. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing you over in the UK uh, later this fall uh, for the conference. Of course, you know, we're looking forward to the close protection conference that the IPSB is doing. The conversations of close protection. Fell him. Who knew that we'd still be going strong after five years and we still have yet to to not find somebody that has a great story and, and a great conversation. You know, I I feel grateful every day to get up and I'm excited about the the folks in the industry. And I'm, I'm glad that people like you and I and Chris have have venues and ways that we can we can help spread the spread the wealth and spread the story. So. Well, I'm 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 grateful for the cross pollination, cross collaboration, and support. And um, yeah, it's it is inspirational what you're doing. And and I, I'm 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 very very eager to keep listening because I I do enjoy your format. I, I I try and you know with the team with John and Sean and Elijah, I I try and bring a thematic form to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Whereas what you are doing is a little bit longer form and it's more in depth in some areas and it, and it's more a sort of an expose and and i think i think that th those two approaches complement each other quite nicely well there's a lot you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that are vying for your your attention um you know there's a lot of great podcasts out there there's a lot of I, I, you know there's there's many ways that you can up your education if you're not a cyber person there's places you can go and start to listen and understand if you're not a business person same thing um and you know i I love the fact that there are both long and short form. Sometimes I, I would like to do more short form, uh, but it ends up being long form. Perhaps that's just because Chris and I are long winded. Um, but I, you know, I, I love it. And there's, there's so many different, uh, there's so many different types of formats and so many different ways we can ingest it. So, I mean, in some ways, I mean, it, it, it's the best of times to be a protector in terms of development. Absolutely. And, and I, I'm really finding a lot of people willing to share their advice and, um, you know, bring up the new generation as well. Absolutely. And it wasn't always that way. And you and I both have experienced those times. So it's it's great that so many people pay it forward. Yes. I, I'll just leave it with the word yes. Um, 
Uh, also coming up, uh, actually, uh, for uh, our colleagues in the UK, 27th of September, we're doing a Circuit Magazine meetup alongside the International Security Expo in London by Kensington Olympia. That will be 4 p.m. onwards uh, at the same venue as we had last time, but we will send you more details. And, of course, uh, there's the uh, EP World coming up in November. Uh, and then the IPSB conference in uh, Vegas in December. Seven to nine December this year. We might change it, the dates again next year, but yeah, it's seven to nine uh, in Vegas this year. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone there. Perfect. And then I'm looking forward to hosting you on the 26th of January for the eighth annual Executive Security Close Protection Technology Forum. What a mouthful. Awesome. That is going to be a great time. And I'm really looking forward to getting back over the pond. So many friends that I haven't seen thanks to COVID that I'm I'm ready to go and uh, enjoy a GNT if I can say that. Oh, you can. And it's it's uh, <laughs> it's to be it's to be appreciated. Well, um lovely to have you on. Thanks for being a guest editor this week. Um great that we've tied it into the Peter Moore, who I know uh, you know and we know. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's great uh, to to cross col- cross collaborate across the digital divide. You see, how I got Indeed. to say it. I got to say it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, awesome. well, well, Chuck. Thanks very much for 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 coming on. And this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.